We meet today in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 7. In this chapter, we are talking of the practicality of the coming of Christ. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 concluded with the fact that the believer should be established in the word of God. The word of God so that you are not moved back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Paul spoke about God comforting our hearts and establishing us in every good work and word. This has to do with loyalty to the person of the Lord Jesus. Also, Paul spoke in chapter 2, verses 13 to verse 14, of the marvelous position that we have in Christ. We are chosen, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. In fact, we had this statement that says, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, we are called by God for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is heady stuff, if you like. It is exciting and thrilling. But having talked about all these issues, we need to come down to the practicalities. It's good to have right doctrine, but right doctrine should produce right practice. For theory without practice is meaningless. Now here in chapter 3, Paul says that there are certain responsibilities that we have as believers. Not only are we supposed to know certain things, we are to do certain things. As Paul put it to the Ephesian believers, he says, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Now Paul is saying the same thing to the Thessalonian believers. The believers should be established in their walk. In our last study, we looked at the believers need to be established in the word. Now in their walk, they must be established. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that you may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. What Paul is saying here is that the word of God enables the believer to walk before the wicked world. Someone will ask a question, how can I walk before this wicked world with all that is happening? There seems to be negative statements coming from the press, coming from the radio, coming from the people in the streets. Wherever you turn, there is negative pictures that are presented in your minds, both by what you hear and by what you see. How can I walk before the wicked world? Well, the word of God enables us. The word of God establishes a believer in his walk. This is why it is important, my friend, even to start every day by cleansing your mind with the word of God. As you end the day, you cleanse your mind with the word of God to continually be reminded of the way you should walk. Because, my friend, as you rub shoulders with the people of the world, they indeed make you catch some of the way that they deal with things. 
but you cleanse your mind, you cleanse your heart with the word of God. So Paul begins here with a statement that says, finally, brethren. In other words, he is coming to the conclusion of his letter. But as he comes to the conclusion of his letter, he says the important things that must be done to authenticate that their belief was right, it must be evident in their walk. Then he invites them, pray for us. Well, prayer is something that every believer can engage in. I do not think that prayer is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is something that all believers should do. Every work must have prayer behind it if it is to succeed. And every successful evangelist and preacher of the word of God, every teacher of the word of God who is being used of God, has people who are praying for him. And Paul is asking the Thessalonian believers for prayers so that the word of God may run swiftly. You see, Paul had a very unique ministry. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist as we think of evangelists today. Actually, that word evangelist in the New Testament means missionary. Also, he was a pastor and a teacher of the word of God. He fulfilled all of these offices and had fulfilled them all to the Thessalonian believers. He had led them to the Lord and had taught them in the scriptures. Now he is acting as their pastor in these letters. He is not only instructing them in the word, but he is attempting to comfort them and to counsel them. One of the things that he enjoins them to do is to pray. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified even as it is with you. He is a man with great humility, though a renowned apostle, a renowned evangelist. He solicits the prayers and the support of the believers at Thessalonica. He is not trusting in himself. He does not trust his uh, History. He does not trust his heritage. He does not trust what he had gained even from learning from Gamaliel. He trusts in God's spirit working in him. And therefore, he invites them to pray for him. Now, again, I needed to let you know, my friend, you cannot pray for Paul today, but you can pray for Asafa. I would appreciate your prayers that the word of the Lord as I give it out to many people may have a free course and be glorified. The word of God needs to be exalted today. Pray that people will exalt the word of God in their own lives. Pray that the people will confess, those who confess to believe the word of God. They will do it and find that they actually find meaning in the word of God. In terms of Paul coming to the practicality of the work of the believers, he is even using his own life as an example. He is inviting them to pray for him. As a believer, when the word of God becomes a living reality in your day-to-day -day activities, it is when you are not only dependent on your own prayers, but you are in a community where others are invited to join with you in the battle for the souls, in the battle for spirituality. My friend, let me urge you to pray for your pastor. 
Let me say something very carefully. I know what it is to be a pastor. A pastor has a great responsibility because, very frankly, he deals with many people who are unreasonable, if I may say. And Paul here is asking that he may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. While people may be in church, some are unreasonable, some are wicked. And Paul is asking that he may be delivered. Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your leaders? Do you pray for those who teach you God's word? They need to be delivered from unreasonable people, even from wicked men. Some who deliberately go after them to simply make them fall and bring to nothing all that these men of God would be standing for. Do you know that there are people who are very wicked, yet they are in church? And a pastor needs to be delivered from such people. The work of an evangelist is like the work of an obstetrician. He delivers the little baby into the world. And that is quite an undertaking, of course. But then he turns over that little one to the pediatrician. He is the one who sees to it that his diet is right. And then he is bumped properly. Then he gets his shorts and so forth. The pastor, you see, is the pediatrician who receives all the delivered babies from the pediat from the obstetrician. And the pediatrician has to see that everything goes well. The pastor is the one who must deal with the cantankerous saints and baby Christians. That is quite a job. My heart goes out to the pastor. I'm a pastor myself. I know what it means. So Paul asked for prayer that he might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I find that the spreading of the gospel is hindered more by people who are in church than by anything else. No liquor industry, no barroom or bottle store, no gangster ring has ever attacked me. At least I have never known about it. But I have had so-called saints in the churches attack me viciously. As you know, in our churches, we have the saints and the ains. And there are a lot of ains in church than saints. They can give a pastor a rough time. It's too bad. We can't settle down and give out the word of God. And sometimes even believers themselves have had the experience of suffering at the hands of the fellow brothers to a point where sometimes you find believers going to find consolation and comfort and company from the non-believers because the hurts or the arrows of a beloved brother or sister are too painful. We pray that we be delivered from unreasonable and wicked people who may even be in church. It is not all who are in church who are true believers. Just like it is not all who are Israel are true Israelites. So now when Paul says, for not all have faith, <laughs> that is the, the faith, you see. All men do not have the faith. All women do not have the faith. The point is that they do not hold the doctrines as the apostles taught them. 
the foundation of the church rests upon the doctrines which the apostles gave to the church. That is what we should teach and preach even today, my friend. It is one thing actually to hold the truth of the coming of Christ and to love his appearing, but it is another thing also to walk worthy of that great truth. This is what Paul is writing about to the Thessalonians. If we really love his appearing, we will prove it by our relationship to the word of God and by our walk through this life. The evidence of our expecting the Lord's coming is how devoted we are to the word of God and how consistent our walk is in line with the word of God. But the Lord is faithful. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one? Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Isn't this a wonderful verse? The Lord is faithful. He will establish me and he will guard me and protect me from all evil. This is amazing. I know that I have let the Lord down on several occasions, but he has never let me down. There is a chorus that is sung which goes in this manner. There is one thing I know. The thing that I know is that Jesus will never let me down. He will never fail me. That thing is a sure case. We may be unfaithful, but he remains faithful. The unfaithlessness of man provides actually a contrast to the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. He is always faithful. Christians should hold tenaciously to this little vase. The Lord is faithful and he will establish you. Everywhere you go, wherever you are, Jesus Christ will never fail you. Christians need to be established. Right now, the home is in disarray. The church is in disarray and the lives of believers are in disarray. We need to be established. How can you as a child of God be established? Well, by coming to the word of God and letting it have its influence in your life, you will be established. You see, the Lord Jesus operates through his word. The word of God will keep you from evil. Actually, someone has accurately said, that the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. You see what? It is equally true both ways. When you spend time in God's word, sin is never mentioned away from you. But when you stay in sin, sin will keep the Bible away from you. Do you have an appetite for the word of God? And sometimes when you are wanting to come to God's word and read God's word, you find that the desire is not there. Check your life. It may be sin that is keeping you away from the word of God. Or sometimes it may even be that you have heard God's word for many times. You have read God's word, but you never put the energy to good use. You never applied that word. And so a layer of guilt continued to be built upon your conscience, now when you are wanting to read God's word again, you feel like you are just loading it over and over again. And therefore the desire for the word of God 
wins. What is the remedy, my friend, in such a situation? Put to use, put into practice what you already know of the word of God. And Paul here says to the Thessalonian believers, let the truths that you hold on to be reduced down to the shoe leather. Let it come down to the factory floor. Let it come into your office. Let it come into your sitting room, into your kitchen. Let it come even into your bedroom. Putting into practice the word of God is the way that you keep sin away from you. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 4. Well, Christians here are commanded to do certain things, and there are specific commandments for Christians. We saw that in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he recorded there 22 commandments in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians. There are not only 10, but 22 commandments which believers are to do. But the secret to doing this is knowing what Jesus said in John 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now these are his commandments. So Paul says he had confidence in the Lord touching these believers. He committed them to the Lord with the confidence that they were doing and would continue doing the things which he commanded. He believed that this Thessalonian church, which had a wonderful testimony, would continue to maintain that testimony. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5. Paul here realizes that the Lord's help is indispensable. He is aware of the Lord Jesus teaching even in the gospel of John chapter 10. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that he has complimented the Thessalonian believers, this does not imply that they are self-sufficient. He tells them, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Therefore, he requests that the Lord directs them into a fuller appreciation of God's love for them and Christ's perseverance on their behalf. It is only Christ, my friend, who enables us to persevere. I have reached this far in the faith, not because of my doing, but of Christ working in me. The believer is to walk in the love of God. If you are walking today in the sunshine of his love, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, and you know he loves you. You can manifest that love by the power of the Spirit, because only the Spirit of God can make God's love real to us. And by the way, love is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't naturally love Tom, Dick, and Harry, Chipo, Kuda, Tariro. You can't. And I'm of the opinion that God does not expect us to love people in that sense. He does not expect that we will be able to do that every time and again. Well, Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians 
that our love is to be in judgment, which implies that we should be careful about loving those around us. There are people who will hate us if we open our arms to them. We must know that. This is why even as we are to be directed into the love of God, we are also to be directed into the patience of Christ. Because when we are even hurt or we are not received, the patience of Christ enables us. This does not mean that you are to argue about premillennial or pre-tribulational or post-tribulational or amillennial arguments. But here it means you are to be patiently waiting for the coming of Christ. And even when you are going through difficulties, even when you seem to have many enemies, you are to be patient because you have something better that is coming for you. Oh, what wonderful verses these are. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. God says that we are to withdraw ourselves from the disorderly. Certainly we are to witness to them, but we are not to fraternize on their level, never. Every brother who remains idle is to be denied the privilege of associating with his fellow Christians. And here the word idle translates a word meaning disorderly. The disorder here defined by the remainder of the paragraph is loafing, being remiss in daily work and conduct. Now God makes it very clear whom we are to follow. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 7. In other words, Paul is urging these people to imitate himself and his team. In imitating Paul, they would be imitating the Lord. Because Paul's life was so carefully patterned after the Lord's, and Paul could boldly, without any shame, say, follow me or imitate me because I follow Christ. When he was with them, he did not loaf at Thessalonica. He did not depend on others to supply him with the free food. That was not his attitude. And so he says, you ought to imitate us. And the Greek word translated ought indicates an inward constraint. It is often translated must to indicate a moral necessity. The word follow translates the infinitive form of the Greek, which means to imitate, to emulate, or literally to mimic. The English translation to follow us suggests that the command was to be obeyed just as Paul and his company had obeyed. Now, my friend, the saying, birds of a feather flock together, best describes Paul here in his warning. You will be like the crowd you run around with. And believers need to be very careful about the company they keep and the people with whom they associate. Who do you associate with? Who are you known about? If people are ever going to describe you with reference to your partnerships, 
will they talk of people who walk in the ways of the Lord, or they will associate you with the people of the streets, the bad company. May God be gracious and enable us, like Paul has said, that you may follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. And who is able to do it? The love of God, the patience of Christ, him working in us will enable each one of us, will enable you, my friend, to be able to be orderly instead of being disorderly. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org